Well, hey, good morning to you, Grace. It is good to see you this morning. Would you turn in your Bibles to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 10. Happy New Year to you. I haven't seen you all year. Last time I saw you was last year. It's finally, finally you get here. My goodness. Well, Happy New Year to you. And Pastor Chuck did a good job introducing primetime. Primetime does not begin this Wednesday. It begins the following Wednesday, 7 o'clock, just one hour for your entire family. If you have kids, bring them. If you have teenagers in junior high or in high school, we have separate ministries for junior high and high school. If you're an adult, come because uh, we will be studying the Bible a little differently than we do on Sunday mornings. We call it verse by verse, and we're doing a couple Old Testament books together, ones that um, are very similar and yet are very different and yet teach (laughs) the exact same thing about God. Similar, different, teach the same things about God. And, uh, and so it's going to be a great time studying the book of Esther and Ruth together in our prime time this, uh, this coming, uh, not this Wednesday, next Wednesday. Now you'll notice that I uh, turned you to the book of Hebrews. And so if you came to our prime time here in the fall, you know that I taught verse by verse through the book of Hebrews. And if you were part of that, you know that it was kind of a challenge, wasn't it? It was, it, was, it was a challenge to get through Hebrews because there was some stuff that was some really deep stuff and some of it entrenched in the Old Testament. And so it took a while to get through. It was a real challenge for me in my study and my preparation uh, and me teaching it. It was very edifying to me and I hope it was for you. But like whenever you're teaching the Bible, something ends up on the editing room floor. That means... I learn more than you do. Sorry. <laughs> if you want to learn more, then you become a teacher too, and you'll learn more than the students that you're teaching. Um, but I learned more than, than you did. There's some, there are some passages in Hebrews where it, we could have taken 10 weeks to study just one verse, and yet we didn't have time to do all of that. And so today is bred out of my study of the book of Hebrews when we were studying it for prime time. I just didn't have enough time for this. When we got to Hebrews 10, I just didn't have enough time for what I'm going to teach you today, and yet it's very important. It's dramatically applicable. The things that the Christians experienced in the first century are so applicable to what we experience as well today, particularly when we get to chapter 10. And so I'm eager here in 2022 to... to, uh, launch ministry here and grow our faith in Christ and grow our, our love for each other. And, and, uh, and I hope more of our non-Christian friends and family get saved this year than, than last year. And I'm eager to show you what I'm going to teach today because this is going to help us in our uh, ministry this entire year. Because we all want 2022 to be better than 2021. I have not met a person who does not want 2022 to be better than 2022, all the COVID issues, all the supply chain issues, all of the Chick-fil-A not having enough staff to open their dining room issues, you know, like serious things like that. The do I vaccinate my kid controversies, the gas prices being more than they are than they have been in the last 10 years. I have not met a person that does not want 2022 to be better than 2021. And the same is, I think, or I hope, true for us as Christians in our Christian lives. I hope you want 2022 to be better than 2021, I hope. Don't, don't you want to grow deeper roots in Jesus this year than you had last year? Don't you want to read the Bible more this year than you did last year? 
Don't you, don't you want to be more wholeheartedly committed to the thing that Jesus loves and the thing that Jesus leads? It's called his local church and the body that we find ourselves in. Don't you want to serve Jesus more wholeheartedly with more of a fervent attitude, more than you did last year? Don't you want more of your unsafe friends and unsafe family to believe in Jesus this year? I think you do because you're here. <laughs> if you weren't here, then I wouldn't think that, but but you're here, and so I think that you do want those things. But here's the thing. I bet that in previous years, you had said that you wanted to read the Bible more this year than last year. I would bet that there were other years in the past where you said, I want my roots to grow deeper in Jesus this year than last year. I bet that there were times in the past where you wanted to be more committed to Jesus and you wanted to serve him more in his local church uh, this year than last year in previous years and maybe it just didn't happen the way that you thought it would or maybe it didn't work out the, maybe the, the way that you thought it could. And today I'm going to give you a reason why. Why those hopes for better this year might not have worked out in the past. This last year, uh, my platoon, our, our, my uh, men's small group, we read this book by James Dobson called Straight Talk to Men. And in that book was a, a chapter on marriage. And in that chapter on marriage was uh, this graph. And this graph um, was about the satisfaction in marriage. Now, today is not uh, all about marriage, and so I'm not really gonna focus on all the aspects of this, but I really just wanna focus on the graph and, and what it teaches, because what it teaches uh, is applied to many aspects in life, not just marriage. But this is a, a graph about satisfaction, just personal satisfaction in, for a married couple. And I've already highlighted it, so I've already kind of messed it up there, but you can see the highlighted yellow one, and that's the, uh, a woman's, per, just her personal satisfaction. And when she starts out in marriage, her satisfaction in life is just very high. It starts out great. And then through some discouragements and some disappointments through her life, uh, uh, things begin to plummet in her satisfaction. And ultimately, it ends or, or results in a pit, a pit of despair. And this graph kind of gives some milestones along the way that, that are in a woman's life, having your first child and, and having your first one leave the house. And, and this one, for this context and what we're reading in the chapter, is talking about uh, when the last child leaves the home and there being um, j just some discouragement and, and the marriage is different at that point in time. We know that as the empty nest syndrome. And yes, some marriages do have a pit of despair when it comes to the empty nest syndrome, but not all marriages have a pits of despair because of that. There are other things too that could cause really deep discouragements in a marriage. And the, and the book talked about how if that married couple pushes through, if they cling together and they cling to Christ and they allow him to carry them through the difficult crisis that they're experiencing in their life, that on the other side there are great glimmers of hope and that that couple can reach uh, again um, personal satisfactions as high or even higher than it was at the beginning of the marriage. And so that was the graph that we looked at in our, uh, in our men's small group one week. And I knew I had 
seen this graph somewhere before, though. This wasn't like the first time I'd ever seen that. And so I got uh, back to my office here, and I started looking around. I started researching. It didn't take long for me to figure out that I had seen this graph a ton before. This had been in a lot of my business leadership books going all the way back to college. And this graph was, uh, was designed by a couple psychologists in the 1970s, and the purpose was to help leaders, and that's why it was in my leadership books, to help leaders understand the difficulties or the challenges of change in people they're leading. The difficulties or challenges in change in people that leaders are leading. And so that's why they had developed this thing. Why people want something different in their life, why they want to change in a particular way, but it just doesn't quite work out, why that is. Why, why you wanted a great marriage, but it ended in divorce. Why you wanted to lose all that weight, but you're heavier at the end of the year than you were at the beginning. Why you wanted to read your Bible more, but it just didn't quite <laughs> work out longer than the first three weeks. Why you wanted to grow deeper roots in Jesus, and yet you feel like your roots are shallower now than they ever were before. Why that would be. And so this wasn't originally designed for marriage like it's been applied here. It's, it's meant to be much broader in really any aspect of life. Anything that is worth doing, anything that is important to do, anything that is necessary but hard to do, every person will go through this cycle. And so I'm not going to call it the emotional cycle of change. That's too psychological. I'm just going to call it, the, this is the change for the better cycle. The change for the better cycle. And anything that is worth doing, anything that is hard to do, anything that is important to do, you will go through this cycle. Anything. So in parenting, you'll go through this cycle. In your job, you'll go through this cycle. Being a student at school, you'll go through this cycle. Starting off high, starting off with great, wonderful expectations, or meeting some discouragements, hitting a pit of despair, and if you push through, things are better on the other side. Following other people, being an employee, you'll go through this cycle. And being a leader of people, you'll go through this cycle. Serving in ministry here at Grace Community Church, you'll go through this cycle. Teaching in, uh, in our junior high ministry, you'll go through this cycle. Serving in our, our nursery, you'll go through this cycle. Being an usher here on Sunday mornings in second service, you're going to go through this cycle eventually. Anything worth doing, reading your Bible, uh, being a men's small group leader, a women's small group leader, you're going to go through this cycle eventually. Uh, health, health in your health in your well-being you're going to go through this cycle but our focus here is our spiritual health and our spiritual maturity and so there are five stages to this um, to this curve or to this uh, cycle of change and everyone starts out in the first stage and the first stage is, is you could call delusional confidence <laughs> You just, you, you, you just go, you're, go, you're excited about it. You don't even think about failure. There's no inkling of fa failing. There's no idea. You don't listen to any of the naysayers. Anybody who buys a gym membership in January starts off with delusional confidence, right? Any newlywed couple that says, I'm going to get through my marriage just because of my love, they're starting off with delusional confidence, 
They're not thinking about failing. They're not thinking about divorce. When you buy the gym membership, you're not thinking uh, about, uh, about how it's not going to work out. You are so sure that it's going to work out. Anything worth doing, you're going to go through this cycle. But inevitably, you reach stage two. And stage two is where you begin to meet some problems. As you head out on this road of delusional confidence, you begin to realize that everything isn't cracked up the way that it's supposed to be, right? You find out that you married somebody that isn't perfect. Good marriage is hard. You find out that the healthy lifestyle of working out and a good diet (laughs) is, is a lot easier to think about when you're eating your Christmas leftovers on New Year's Eve than actually doing it in January and February and March and April. You begin to meet some discouragement. Things aren't what you thought that they would be. And if the discouragement continues, it will inevitably lead to stage three. It will lead to a place that we're going to call the pit of despair. The, the, The place where you begin to question, is it worth it? Is it worth it? Should I stick this out? Should I continue in this? Should I continue in this job? Should I continue in this marriage? Should I continue in this friendship? Should I continue in this ministry? Should I continue going to Grace Community Church? Should I continue reading my Bible? Everything worth doing, anything that is difficult to do, you're going to reach at some point the question, do I continue to do this. And so, if you push through that, if you rely on Christ, if you allow him to carry you through these difficult crisis moments in your life, as you push through those, eventually you will get to step four, stage four in this. And stage four is where you begin to see glimmers of hope. You begin to see things working out. And it's typically in the pit of despair as you're holding on to Christ as you are working through the difficulties of things that you begin to realize that, that, that your application of truth in your life might be a little different application than, than other people. You might have noticed in your marriage that reading a marriage book does not fix your marriage. It's when both a husband and a wife, when they take the truths that are learned from that book and they begin to work them out and begin to apply them in the way that it works for their marriage, in the way that they could do it every time, in the way that that they can consistently stick with it. It might not be the specific recommendations in the book, but they'll take the truths in the book and they'll apply it into their marriage. The same is true for any sort of diet. For, for me and my family, this is what I do in my healthy eating kind of lifestyle and diet, we have one night a week that we call dessert night. Dessert night. There is one night a week where I eat something sweet when I eat my dessert. And it's good. And we do it good. We do it up good. I make good coffee. And we have good, a good dessert. We watch a movie together. And my family looks forward to dessert night. Now, that's not the recommendation necessarily of any particular, I didn't find that in any particular book, and that might work for you, but that might not work for you. You're like, one dessert a week, how ridiculous is that? I need at least one, something, one thing a day. Or there might be some of you that say, I can't even have one a week because if I eat one, I'm going to eat a thousand and then I can't do it. 
But for us, we figured it out, and so we have figured out ways to do this, and so anything worth doing, you're going to get to this spot where you do that. An an example when it comes to Bible reading. Someone was uh, talking to me about how they wanted to read the Bible. You know, we encourage you to read the Bible every single day, read the the entire uh, New Testament in a year. And someone was talking to me about the discouragement that they had had. They, They started out with, they wanted to do it, like, Everybody at some point in time wants to read the Bible in a year, you know? And so they had that, I want to do that. And so they started off with delusional confidence, (laughs) and then they reached this moment of discouragement because they realized that they couldn't do it the way that everybody else was doing it. They couldn't do it the way that other people were telling them to do it. Because around here at Grace, we genuinely encourage you to read your Bible in the morning. You know, the morning's a great time to read your Bible because, well, nothing gets in your way from a schedule point of view. If you have to be up at 6 to go to work, wake up at 5.50. You know, nothing gets in your way. If you have to wake up at 4, get up at 3.50, and you still have it doesn't get in your way. But over time, for this person, that was really difficult for them. They're, they were not a morning person. They were a night person. Uh, they didn't get up early in the morning. Their, fo- their brain is all foggy, and they can't think. They, can't, they don't eat food in the morning. They don't, they, nothing. They, 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 they couldn't focus at all, even for the 10 minutes, and so they're really discouraged until they figured out that there are other times of the day. <laughs> there, there are 24 hours in a day. And so for them, they realized, I need to read it at this time, and they were successful and read the entire New Testament in the one year like they wanted to do when it worked out for them, and they started to see glimmers of hope. And then finally, the goal, obviously, is to reach step five or stage five in this, and in stage five is where things will be better where they could be even better than they were when you began the entire process. This is the life cycle of anything that is worth doing. Anything that is hard, anything that that is worth doing, you will go through these stages. You probably went through these stages when you came to Grace Community Church. When you first came to Grace Community Church, you said, oh, this is the best church ever, delusional confidence. Nathan is the best pastor ever, delusional confidence. It's the best staff ever, delusional confidence. And then after a little while of attending Grace Community Church, you realize, oh, wait, (laughs) he's not the best pastor ever. And they're not the best staff ever. They're normal people. It's a church of flaws like every other church that I've been to, and so you might have had some discouragement when you realized that we weren't perfect. And then maybe you finally reached a place where you had to ask yourself, am I going to continue to go to Grace Community Church or not? And well, you're here today, and so that means you pushed through that question at least a little bit, or maybe you're still asking that question. But if you've pushed through that, you have realized that on the other side of those questions, do I continue in this, knowing now everything that I know, many of you have reached such a wonderful connection here at Grace. You have found an area of ministry where you can encourage other people, other people can encourage you, and if you begin to grow with other people, and this has become more of like a family for you than even just a place that you attend. And so things have gotten maybe even better than when you started out at the beginning. But here's the challenge in this whole thing. That when you get to the pit of despair, when you get to step three, there is nothing that requires you to push through it. Right? 
There's nothing that mandates that you push through it. When you get to a different, difficult spot in your marriage, there's nothing that forces you to continue. You can get a divorce. No one's going to arrest you if you get a divorce. When, when you get to the spot here in the pit of despair and you know, reading your Bible every day just isn't working out for you, there's nothing that forces you to push through that. You're not gonna, we're not going to kick you out of Grace Community Church if you didn't read your Bible every single morning. And so this is the challenge, that there is nothing that requires you to push through that pit of despair. You could skip out and go start back at number one again, right? You can go find another job. You can go find another spouse. You can go find another church. You can go find another ministry. You can go find another friend can't you? And so this is the challenge in this. The problem with that, of getting to that pit and asking, is it worth it? Do I want to continue? And you say, no, I want a new one. And so we go back to number one again. That's the problem. You just go to a new church and you start there with delusional confidence, thinking it's the best place in the world. Then you find out that they have flaws too. And you end up in the same spot again. Do I want to continue here? Same thing in a marriage. You go find a new spouse and you start off with delusional confidence. Our love is going to get us through. And then as you slide down the, the path of discouragement, you're going to find yourself again at the same pit of despair, asking yourself again a second time, do I want to continue in this? Every aspect of our lives that is hard, areas that are worth doing, you're going to come to the question, is it worth it? Am I going to push through this? Am I going to pay the price to continue in this or not? And maybe this answers the question why in previous years you had made some commitment to do something and it just didn't really ever work out. Because you got to the point of the pit of despair and you said, eh, not really interested in that anymore. Maybe that's, maybe that's why you made a, a commitment to serve in a ministry and then now you find yourself a year or two later and you're not in that ministry because you got to that point and you said, eh, I'm going to ditch out. Maybe this answers the question why you wanted to read your Bible but you didn't quite get through it all year long. Maybe you finally figured out why you want to share your faith in Jesus but <laughs> it just doesn't really come the way that you wanted it to because you got to step three. It's worth doing, but you ditched out. Now, I read this book uh, every, every morning. It's kind of beat up, um, but this is a collection of devotionals that is written by Oswald Chambers, and it's called My Utmost for His Highest. And it's, uh, it's dated devotional. So every January 1st, you read the same one. Every January 2nd, you read the same one. And every January 3rd, you read the same one. You're like, I think I've read this before. Yes, you've read it like, you know, 15 times before. And so uh, I read this every single morning. And, uh, and Oswald Chambers talks about this very thing, reaching a crisis moment in your life and what to do about it. And it was on January 1st. And I thought it's very fitting because this is a very good January 1st kind of thing to learn. Anybody else read their Oswald Chambers January 1st? Okay, okay, we've got a couple spiritual people in the place. All right. 
So here's what Oswald Chambers, I put up on the screen here so that you can read it too. He says, before we choose to follow God's will, a crisis must develop in our lives. This happens because we tend to be unresponsive to God's gentler nudges. He brings us to the place where he asks us to be our utmost for him and we begin to debate. He then providentially produces a crisis where we have to decide for or against. Is it worth it or is it not? Do I continue or do I not? The pit of despair, that crisis. And then he continues, he says, if a crisis has come to you on any front, surrender your will to Jesus absolutely and irrevocably. There's a sense of passion that you need to adjust now. And today we're going to find out why Oswald Chambers has that passion to irrevocably recommit to Jesus Christ quickly because there are some dangers when you don't do that. Now, the scariest place for a person to be is in the pit of despair and they aren't willing to push through it when it comes to their faith in Jesus. That's got to be the scariest place to be. And that's where we find these Christians in Hebrews. That was a long lead up to, to but yet you had, you had to see it. Okay, You have to know where we are. Now you know why I didn't have time for all this on a Wednesday night. So now we're in Hebrews chapter 10. I gave you 25 minutes to find Hebrews 10. I hope you found it by now. This is what I wasn't able to teach then, but I, want, I really wanted to show it to you, and so I reserved it for today. Verse 19, we're going to read uh, just three verses, and then I'm going to kind of catch you up to speed on what we're learning, and then we're going to continue. Hebrews chapter 10, beginning at verse 19. It says, Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God. Well, let's stop right there and let me kind of help you know what we are, are learning here. This letter is a letter to Jews. And the Jews were in the religious system of Judaism and they had been born again. They put their faith and trust into Jesus, into Christ, and they became a born-again Christian, leaving Judaism and coming to the freedom in Christ. They had been a part of Judaism their entire life. The sacrificial system, uh, the, the Old Testament law, the Mosaic law, the 613, well, you know, you know of 10 of them, the Ten Commandments, but there were 603 other of them that were given to Moses. And then the scribes and the Pharisees added on top of those. And so there was a long list of do's and don'ts. And your conscience was always guilty because you were always breaking one of them and you had to do something good to offset the bad one. And so that was the sacrificial system. You'd go and make sacrifices for all the wrong things that you had done. A list of do's and don'ts. And so the Jews had heard the gospel of Jesus, that Jesus died on the cross for sin, that he paid the price, that there is no need for any more sacrifice that he was the perfect sacrifice and some Jews put their faith in Jesus and so they are still Jews but they are not practicing Judaism they are now born-again Christians living a, a Christian life having Jesus now as their priest instead of a, a priest as their priest so this letter is written to the, this group of 
people. And so we're in chapter 10 here, which probably leads you to the idea, well, there must be some things that led up to chapter 10. Yeah, chapters 1 through 9. Now, I'll catch you up to speed real quick. Chapters 1 through 9 are all about Jesus being superior to everything in, in Judaism. That Jesus trumps it all. That Jesus trumps all of the Old Testament stuff. That Jesus trumps the angels. In Judaism, they revered the angels because it was, the angels were the conduit through which God distributed the, the commandments in the Old Testament. And so they revered the angels. And in chapters 1 through 9, it was Jesus is superior. He trumps the angels. And then it got to Jesus even trumps Moses. Now that was a big deal. Jesus trumping Mo- Moses was, was the one who received the commandments. It's called the Mosaic Law, after all. And so, <laughs> and so when you're in Judaism, you worship Moses. Not quite God, but almost, almost as reverent Moses. Well, chapters 1 through 9 are Jesus trumps Moses. And then, e- even greater than that, Jesus trumps the priesthood. Jesus trumps the Levitical priesthood. They, it was the angels were the conduit of the law. Moses was the receiver of the law. But the, the, the priests were the, were the enactors of it. The, they, they are the ones that in the temple worked it all out. Where there would be one high priest one time a year on the most holy of days that that high priest would take the sacrifice representing the sins of all of the people and he would pass through the veil, this giant thick curtain that stood between the rest of the common area of the temple and the holy of holies, the place that God dwelled, the place where you could communicate with God. And one high priest, one day a year, wearing just the right vestments, bringing just the right sacrifice for everybody else would walk walk in and make atonement for the sins of everybody. And Hebrews 1 through 9 is all about Jesus is greater than the priesthood. And that's where we are right now in Hebrews 10. Maybe this gives a little more insight. Let's look back at these verses that we just read. Look back at verse 19. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place, referring to the holy of holies, by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil. You're familiar with that veil, right? That that's on the Good Friday when Jesus had died on the cross and the veil was torn in two from top to bottom. That was a separator between the outer courts and the inner holy of holies that was torn in in two. Verse 21, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God. When Jesus died, when that curtain ripped from top to bottom, that was not only symbolic, but that was practical, that regular everyday people like you, like me, like these Christians in Hebrews had access to the, the Holy One of God and that Jesus is going to be our high priest doing the interpretation for the Holy One of God that, that just normal people have complete access. And so he's writing that to these Christians who had come from Judaism, he had done the whole sacrifice thing, and now they have complete access to God through Jesus Christ being the high priest. Such a wonderful thing, such freedom in Christ, such grace instead of works. And yet, these Christians were considering going back to Judaism. These Christians were considering going back. 
Remember, anything worth doing, you're going to go through this cycle. And these Christians had started out with delusional confidence. They had heard about the wonderful things of Jesus, and they had heard about no longer having their conscience always being guilty that they could be free in Christ, and there's no longer any work. It's all done in him, and it's so wonderful. And they're like, we're going to be Christians forever. This is so great. This is so, I mean, how could there even be a problem with this delusional confidence? Pretty quickly they learned that it was a high price to pay to leave Judaism to Christianity. They paid such a high price. You see, Judaism kind of looked skeptically at, at Christianity. Christians were considered the enemy to Judaism. And so, when you became a Christian, when you left Judaism and you became a Christian, that's who we're talking about here in Hebrews, you all of a sudden started experiencing a lot of things you never really expected. You lost your job. After all, the, the boss who is in Judaism thinks skeptically about your purpose is now working for him and so you get fired. Your kids are kicked out of school. You have no access to car loans. You don't you don't have a way to pay your mortgage. Not only is it financial, families, families who, who most of them are living in Judaism and, and one or two or three of them, they put their faith in Jesus. This family then excommunicates the, the rest of their family. The Judaism family doesn't invite the rest of their family over for Christmas, if they celebrated Christmas, Thanksgiving, Hanukkah. They don't invite them over. They're, they're, they're completely on the outs. And so these Christians are being persecuted for that. Up until they're, some of them are getting physically beaten, hurt because of their faith in Jesus, all the way up to and including some of these Christians are being killed simply because of their connection to Christ as opposed to Judaism. They had started out with delusional confidence and they had experienced enough discouragement where they had reached the pit of despair, and they are asking, do we continue? Do we stick with it? Is it worth the price? And those of you who were with me on our Wednesday prime time, you know that that's the theme of this entire book. The theme of this entire book is these Christians are considering going back. Remember, there's nothing that, that forces you, that requires you to, to push through. And their mouth was that, that I'm going to go back. I'm going to go back to Judaism. I'm going to go back and start off with number one in Judaism. It would be much easier. And then maybe sometime later on, put my faith in Christ again later on if things work out. And the purpose of Hebrews is written, don't quit. There are dangers if you quit. All right, let's keep reading here though. Uh, verse 22 of uh, Hebrews 10. It says, Let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Now you don't have, your conscience has been cleaned, you know? You don't have that discouraging uh, conscience. I've, all, I've already I've broken a law, broken a law, broken a law, broken a law. Christ has died for it all now. And so you don't ha have that guilty conscience all the time anymore. You now have a clear conscience. Verse 23, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, 
For he who is promised is faithful, and let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The author is saying you need to avoid the idea of abandoning Christianity. You Jewish Christians need to avoid the idea being in a very crisis moment, in the pit of despair, wondering, is this really worth it? You need to avoid going back to number one with Judaism. You need to stop it. You need to, yes, it's difficult, but you're going to need to go through this crisis moment and hold on to Christ, and he is going to take you through the other side, and there'll be wonderful things on the other side of that, but yes, it's really hard now. And the way that you're going to get through this and not abandon it is by verse 25, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The way that you are gonna prevent yourself from going backwards for turning on your faith in Christ is by surrounding yourself with other like-minded people who aren't, don't wanna quit either and surround yourself with them and you guys are gonna get through this together. This is the focus, this passage is going to be our focus this week and at least next week. So if I don't get completely deep in this this week, it's because we're going to talk more about it next week. But the way that these Jewish Christians are going to get through it is by surrounding themselves with other like-minded people and so that they can help each other not despair and not turn themselves. But some of them already have. Look at verse 25 again. Some of the Christians had already gone backwards. It says, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some. Some of them have already jumped shit. They've already turned their back on this new faith that they have in Jesus. But other Christians, they're going the right way. Surround yourself with them. They're the ones that are going to be helpful to you. Come on Sunday mornings. <laughs> Come on Wednesday nights at prime time. Go to your men's small group that keeps you t- accountable to the things that you want to do, that keep you accountable to the, to the good things that you do in, in life. Find a ministry where you can encourage other people and other people can encourage you to stick through it even though we are in a pit of despair right now. And if you don't, if you don't surround yourselves with these other people, you will not become a better person. Things will not get better. They are going to get worse. What happens if, a, if these Christians attempt to abandon their faith now? What's going to happen to them? Well, let's keep reading verse 26. Verse 26 of Hebrews 10. Here is the stark warning. It says, If we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of, one or th- of two or three witnesses. How much severer punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled under the foot of the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant which he was sacrificed and has insulted the Spirit of God, uh, Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Let that sink in for a minute. 
It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. You know, you read this section, you're like, does God really mean that? Oh, yeah. Go back to verse 26. For if we go on sinning willfully, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. If these, if these Jews who have become Christians, they put their faith in Jesus Christ, if they don't think that Jesus' sacrifice was enough, that they have to go back to Judaism to go do those sacrifices again, if they don't think Jesus was enough, then there is no sacrifice that is good enough to save them. That's the math that they're doing. That's the math of the author. If these Jews don't think that Jesus' was enough, then there is no way of salvation for them. If that's not it, I don't know what, it, what salvation would be for them then. Verse 31, it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of a living God. The hand of God can be very heavy. Even when it is for good. Even God's chastening, his chastisement, that is, that is a... God spanking his own kids, which is for the good, for their good. But still, it can be very heavy-handed. It can be very painful. And that is why Oswald Chambers says, at the end, I've already read it to you once, but here it is again. If a crisis has come to you on any front, surrender your will to Jesus absolutely and irrevocably because if you don't, verse 31, it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of a living God. That's why he would say it is important that you completely commit to Jesus when you get to that pit of despair. Anything worth doing, you are going to hit a question mark. Am I going to do this or not? Is it worth it? Is it worth a sacrifice? And sometimes that pit of despair is a crisis that God has placed there for you to come to the conclusion to define who you are. As you hold on to Christ, he is the one that will get you through and you begin to see glimmers of hope. And that is the message to these Christians too because they are in the same spot that you have been in and you might be in in the future as a Christian. Important things in your life. I want to grow deeper roots in Jesus. I want to serve Jesus more. I want to, I want to be more committed to this thing that he leads called the local church. I want to serve the body even more than I ever have before. I want my non-Christian friends and family to, to know about Jesus and I know there's something about me and you get to the point of despair like I don't know if I can do it. And this is where Oswald Chambers and the writer of Hebrews, and I would tell you, don't quit. There's nothing that requires you to continue on. You could stop. You could go back and find a new job. You could go back and find a new ministry. You can go back and find a new church. You can, you can make a commitment to read the Bible all 2023 <laughs> instead of 2022. But the author of Hebrews would say, it's a terrifying thing to fall in the hands of a living God. And that's the purpose of the series. For the next three weeks, we're going to talk about some 
three key areas beyond our personal faith, like we're talking about today, three key areas where Christians often get to this point of despair and they ask themselves, is it worth it? Am I going to get, can I get through this? And sometimes they say, nah, it's not worth the price. But I don't, I don't want you to, to give up. What happens when a Christian continues to sin? Because that's what sin is, right? Sin is knowing what God wants you to do and then not doing it, right? That's sin. Or knowing what God doesn't want you to do and continue to doing it. Either one of those are sin. What happens when a, when a person continues to sin, can, does something that they know that God doesn't want them to do? Well, we've kind of read about what happens to them here in verses 26 to, to 31. They, they begin to lose their confidence that Christ is, is the one that can get them through. I mean, if, if Christ can't get you through, then, <laughs> then you might as well quit, Right? They begin to lose confidence that Christ is the one that can get you through. And oftentimes the way that this is seen on the outside is when a Christian begins to question their salvation. When a Christian begins to doubt or wonder if they are really saved. Have you ever wondered if you're really saved? If you've wondered that, that is a really good thing to wonder. That is a really good question to ask yourself. The Bible even says, test yourselves to see if you're in the faith unless indeed you fail the test. It's important to fail that test now <laughs> than to fail that test in eternity. And oftentimes, when a person continues uh, or doesn't continue when you hit the pit of despair, some people begin to question their salvation. And so when someone comes to my office and they sit down and they say, I'm just not really sure that I'm even saved, I talk to them about a start in one area, go quickly to another area, but I never do a third thing. When someone sits down in my office and says, I'm not sure I'm saved, what I do not do is I do not try to convince them that they are. Oh, no, you are. You've been around Grace Community Church for a long time. You have to be. <laughs> my job is not to convince people that they are saved. That is the Holy Spirit's job, <laughs> okay? My job is simply to cast people's eyes on the Lord. I, I don't convince someone, oh, no, you are. You, you, you're considered a leader here at Grace. <laughs> That's not what I do. What I first do is I first ask them about their salvation. How do you know? Are you sure you're really going to heaven? And I begin to ask them about the circumstances surrounding the, the reasons and, and the situations surrounding the day or the timing that they had put their faith and trust in Jesus. And sometimes their answers are like, yeah, I came, to, I came to church or I went to that crusade because things were really difficult in my life and I was really discouraged and I just needed, just needed something to make me feel better. Or I came to church because I had kids and they're young. <laughs> like, that's what my parents did when I was young and I didn't know what to do. And so I came to church and I just wanted my family to be better than it was. And so I came to church and so I guess I prayed the prayer just to make my family feel better. Or maybe they'd say, they've, I've had people say, well, I came because my marriage is having a really hard time and I needed something uh, to hold on to, to to help my marriage get better. Or I had teenagers and like, <laughs> I need something to get through the teenage years and my teenagers needed the, the silver bullet to solve all, solve all their problems. So we came to Grace Community Church. And the problem with all of those is none of those are the litmus tests for being born again. Those are fine reasons to come to church. 
But that is not the litmus test for being born again, for being a Christian, for having the Holy Spirit come live inside of you, the biblical salvation. The litmus test is this, knowing that you're a sinner, knowing that you've done something wrong, that you've said something wrong, that you thought something wrong. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, eternal separation from God in a place called hell. When a person puts their faith in Jesus, they are realizing that they are, they are in comparison to a righteous and holy God, they are dirty, they, they, are, they, they are irreconcilable in themselves, there is nothing good that I can do, I cannot get myself out of this situation, if it were up to me, I will end up in eternity in hell, that's just the way that it is, there's no good that I can do, I can't stop cussing, I can't stop drinking, I can't start going to church, or start being a better spouse, and then God will be happy, there's nothing that I can do, I am irretrievable, irretrievably damaged because of my sin. And then, you know, the, the verse says, all of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. So all of us have sinned, including me. I'm looking at you and you're looking at me and we can all say, yes, we have all done that. All of us have gone astray. But the Bible says, but God has caused our iniquity, the iniquity of us all, to fall on Christ. When Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sin, he was doing that. He was dying on the cross to pay the payment, to pay the fine for your sin. He wasn't paying for your job situation. He wasn't dying to fix your marriage. He wasn't dying to make you feel better because you're depressed. He isn't dying for any of those reasons. He is dying to make the payment for your sin. And so when a person puts their, their faith in Jesus, they're saying, I know I am irreconcilable in myself. There's nothing that I can do, and yet Jesus is the reconciler. He is the God that came to earth that when he died, it's perfection. He is the perfect sacrifice. No more of these sacrifices anymore. No more necessary. Jesus fulfilled all of that stuff. And so when he's dying on the cross, it's the perfect sacrifice. I don't need a high priest anymore. Jesus now is my high priest. And when a person puts their faith and their trust in Jesus, their sins, all of them, the past ones that they've done, the ones that they're doing right now, wondering when the sermon is going to be over, those sins too. <laughs> the sins in the future are all washed away by Jesus' blood on that cross. And that's why there's freedom in Christ. That's why, you can, that's why someone could have a clear conscience even though they're not perfect. And so the litmus test of being born again is... I realized that I was desperate without a savior in my sin. And there are some people that sit in my office and realize, whoa, I don't think I'm really saved. That is good to come to that conclusion. Because there's some people who question, there's some Christians who are questioning their salvation. The reality is, is they are not saved. Now, there are other people who sit in my office and they say, yeah, I know. I, I've been to grace long enough, I know. <laughs> I know I'm a sinner and I know that I needed a savior and Jesus is that. And then my second line of questioning, you know, if it's, if it's not, are we sure we're saved? And they, they passed the test. My second thing is asking them about sin in their life. Like, are you continuing to do things that you know that you shouldn't do? Are you continuing to not do things that you know that you should be doing? Is there active sin in your life? Unconfessed sin sin that you, that you and the Holy Spirit are not dealing with, any unconfessed sin in your life. 
Because here's the math that happens in the back of a Christian's brain because of the influence of God's Holy Spirit. The math is, is okay, if I am, if I am a new creation in Christ, then why in the world am I doing all of those things? Either, either I do that or either I'm saved or I'm not. And that's the right math. <laughs> the right math is, okay, how come someone who is a new in creation in Christ is doing those things? And so sometimes in my office there's conversations about confession and there's prayers of confession that happen in my office. But, but people come to that conclusion, those conclusions when they get to the pit of despair and they want to quit. And they begin to question, am I even saved? And I don't want you to get to that point. I don't want you to be there. James, the, the brother of Jesus, he talks about the purpose of the book of Hebrews, the, the purpose of Christians being around other Christians. You know, that's the whole topic here. The way that you're going to get through all this is by surrounding yourself with other people. Here's why you would surround yourself with other people in James 5, 19. It says this, My brethren, if any among you strays from the truth, if someone's in the pit of despair, and wanting to go back, but one turns him back, prevents him from going back. Let him know that he who turns a sinner from the air of his ways will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. This is why we gather together. This is why you surround yourself with Christians is so that there are other people around you that are there with like minds encouraging each other not to give up when you get to the pit of despair. That's the purpose of Hebrews. Hebrews was there to prevent these Christians from, from turning back at the pit of despair. And I don't want you to, to turn back either. I don't want you to give up in, in your Christian life either. Now, what about these Christians, these Jews? Like, did they, <laughs> did they get through this difficulty? Did they get through this crisis or not? Well, some did. And some, some saw wonderful um, beauty on the other side of it, and some others didn't. Others of them, they gave up, and they went back to Judaism. But I want you to, to not give up. I want you not to quit on your faith. And I want you to come the next three weeks because the next three weeks are three very common areas where Christians get to this point of thinking that it's just not worth it to get through and they give up in certain aspects of their Christian life. Maybe you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ or maybe you thought you did until you heard it today. I want you to put your faith in Jesus. I want you to pass that test. I want you to have what, know with confidence from, from now for the rest of your life that you know you're going to heaven because you realized that you had sinned against God, a righteous and holy God. And that there is rightful judgment that comes as an aspect of that. That's eternity in hell. I mean, a, a fair judge will give a fair ruling, will give a fair judgment, won't he? Of course he will. But that's what Jesus is. Jesus comes and he steps in the courtroom in front of the judge and he says, I've paid their fine. That's what his death on the cross is. And so maybe you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus like that. And so I'm going to give you at least the opportunity to do that. So I'm going to ask all of you, would you be willing to bow your heads and close your eyes today? Whether you know you're going to heaven or not, it just creates a little separation between you and the person next to you. You don't know the person next to you in their heart uh, as well as God does. And so let them deal with God in these things. If you know that you need to be saved genuinely, 
biblically. Be born again to this new family. All you do is you talk to God about it. You don't need to come and talk to me. I'm not the holy of holies. I'm not holy. You don't have to raise your hand or anything like that. You talk to God. You have direct access to God because of the death of Jesus Christ. So why don't we use it? And so you can talk to God. It's called prayer. In the quietness of your own heart, in the quietness of your own mind, God reads your mind. He knows what your intentions are. And you could say these things to God. You could say, dear God, I know that, that I've sinned. I know I've done things that I shouldn't have done. I've thought things that I shouldn't have thought. And I know the eternal result for me is hell. I know I am in myself irreconcilable. And so I need someone outside of me and I believe that Jesus is that Savior. I believe that Jesus is God. I believe that he died on the cross for my sin. I believe that three days later he rose from the grave proving that he is God and he is standing in heaven now as my high priest. And I put my faith and my trust in him. I need his death, his redemption to apply to me. And I need my sins forgiven. I need my sins washed away by Jesus' blood. And so I put my faith and my trust in Jesus. And with your head still bowed and your eyes still closed, the media promises that God the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of you. And you now have help in the pit of despair. If you know you're going to heaven today, you have the Holy Spirit's help in that pit of despair that will help you get through those difficult crisis moments as you hold on to Jesus. Well, God, we thank you for what is in your Bible. We thank you for what it taught us. And God, I, I pray for our church in 2022. I pray that as our Christians individually, as they deepen their roots in you, as they trust you more wholeheartedly, as they begin to serve the, the entity that you lead, known as the local church, as they read their Bible more and share their love of Jesus more with their friends and family, I pray that our, our ministry as a church would be even brighter uh, simply because you are the light in us. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.